Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Hey, morning everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to everyone online as well. I hope you're doing really well. Um, as Al said, my name is Mark, married to Jenna. We've got three amazing young children. And uh, today we are beginning a brand new series called Character is Power. And it's the kind of um, thing that makes you want to like clap. I never normally do that when I speak, just so you know. But it feels like I want to say like character is power. Um, And so we're going to be looking at that. We're also today beginning a bit of a series through Lent, uh, really pursuing a deeper way of faith, a deeper way of life for us. Um, And we're going to try and go after a bit of a reformation of our godly character. And we really want God to come and meet us in the deepest parts of who we are and who we're made to be. Uh, Because who knows that so much of Jesus' ministry is built on his character. Jesus didn't say things he didn't go on and do. He lived his message in a beautiful way. And in building terms, I'd want to describe uh, the investment in character like this. If you only continue to build the outer walls of your house, up and up and up and up, or the outer walls of your life, higher and higher and higher, without ever attending to the inner walls of your life, you are going to get to the point where eventually the house falls in on itself. Right, because you need to attend to the inner life in order to sustain what's going on in the outer one. They say your competency will only carry you as far as your character is able to sustain you. And so we're going after that uh, in this time. Is that all right? We want to come out of this uh, more in love with Jesus, better people, refined, reformed, built up and strengthened and encouraged in this way. And so today what I want to do is I want to begin by starting right at the bottom. Right at the bottom. The key, I believe, to character and talk to you about humility talk to you about humility today. And uh, they say humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking about yourself a little bit less, right? Uh, There's this great uh, American pianist, Oscar Levant, who once said, the world need, what the world needs is more geniuses with humility. There's so few of us left. And it just made, it just made me think, yes, yeah, so true, isn't it? And then this, uh, the entrepreneur, Ted Turner, said, if only I had a little humility, I'd be perfect. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, humility is kind of hard to define, isn't it? I, in many ways, I'm a little bit, uh, I feel my sense of frailty and the risk of false humility being the one that gets to stand on a platform and talk about it. You know, that kind of wrestles through the week of trying to refine an authentic uh, message that I hope um, God meets us each in. Humility pulls us out of uh, the narrative of overattention on our own story, that like self-facing narrative, and it lifts our eyes to God. I was reading a book this week called Walk Humbly, and in it, it said, we are surrounded by a magnificent and almost infinitely extended orchestra, but we insist on playing our lone instrument. And I thought, what a beautiful way to describe a little bit of attention that's at play is that there's so much around there that might catch our gaze, so much harmony, and yet we're there just trying to like play our own piece of the puzzle and trying to get through. 
And what you might not know about me is that I can actually be quite self-absorbed at times. Um, it never comes across here, I'm sure, but I, um, I can be quite selfish. Even this week, um, as I was prepping this message, I've been away for a little bit of time with some of our team. And, uh, and if you're a parent, if you're a family, then you'll know that, obviously, single parents, you're my heroes. Um, but you know that when you're looking after the kids alone, trying to work and do everything, it's quite full on. So having come back from being away, we'd managed to get the kids ready, get them off to school. And we were both working at home that morning. And uh, Jen had headed off uh, to get started on her work. And I walked past and I said, all right, babe, like, have a great day. I'll see you later. And she looked at me with that kind of look that you um, only get after about 13 years of marriage. It didn't say anything, but it, it basically communicated this. Like, Mark, for the last 10 days that you've been at home, I've made coffee. I've just looked after the kids by myself. I've got a lot of work to do. I would love it if you would make me a cup of coffee. But she didn't say this, right? This is the face. Can you imagine the face that communicates all of that? Meanwhile, I'm like, what? Like, what? Like, I'm a busy guy. I've got a message on humility to write. Come on, I've got some stuff to do here. Um, like, what do you want to know? What is it? I'm an important guy, Jenna. And, um, and she's so kind. She just says to me, she's like, Mike, I don't want to have to ask you to think maybe you might want to make me a cup of coffee. And I was like, oh, who thinks I made her a cup of coffee? Well, only a few. Wow, uh, you must think I'm a... Well, I definitely... I just want you to know I'm not that much of a... Yeah, I definitely made her a cup of coffee um, that morning. But um, we can all get wrapped up, can't we, in our own stories from time to time. And if I'm honest, it's a, it's a way of life that you slip into. It's not often something that's intentional, but it's a way of life that kind of uh, emerges on us. And uh, if I just want to say, before you throw your stones at me, this isn't just me. Uh, let me prove it. Uh, because this is backed up in culture. Samsung uh, re uh, released some research that estimated that the average person will take 25,000 pictures of their own face in their lifetime. Isn't that amazing? That's you. 25,000 pictures of your own face in your life. So, you know, be first to cast the stone, um, but take a long, deep, hard look in your own phone um, before you say <laughs> anything else to me. Um, uh, now, this uh, author and pastor, Samuel Wells, described humility like this. He said, it's the hallowed clearing in the forest of existence where wonder, awe, and gratitude meet, dance, play, and exult. And it's something I want to go after, amen? So uh, to help us understand this, we're going to read a passage of Scripture together in Philippians chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you can open that up right now, turn with me, get out your phone, whatever helps you connect with the Word of God. And um, if not, you can follow along with the words on the screen and online, they'll come up for you up there. And um, just to set the context for us, uh, the writer of this letter to the people in Philippi is a guy called the Apostle Paul. He's now been imprisoned for his own faith in Jesus, and he is writing from a Roman prison to a Roman colony and a church that's emerged in Philippi in this kind of um, deep, uh, sort of seeped in Roman culture colony called uh, Philippi. And in this letter, Paul is reflecting on the teachings and the ministry of Jesus. And he gets to this passage with this exemplary description of what perfect humility looks like. And so we're going to start reading from verse 1. Imitating Christ's humility, it says this. Therefore, 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Hey, just before we pray, I just wanted to show you this image that I found that I absolutely love. And it's a great reminder uh, that there is no higher name than Jesus, except Dave. I love that. Jesus, no name higher unless you're Dave. And so, um, Dave, good on you. Well done. And uh, let me pray because I just, I need help as much as I enjoyed that. So let's pray. Father, we just ask that in this moment you would meet with us, speak to us. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our path, a light to our feet. And I pray, Jesus, that you just begin to speak and minister to us in the deepest way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for Roman people, I want to know there's something very uh, significant in society. It was called grades of honor in Roman society at the time. And the goal of this honor society was to try and progress through this honor society to kind of ascend and rise to the top of it. It was something called the cursus honorum or the course of honor. And what it depicts for us is this life of ascent, trying to get to the top and ultimately, The picture I want to leave you with here, this cursus honorum thing, is that the ultimate picture would be to try and climb the ladder from going from the ultimate aim from being seen as just a human being to climb and climb and climb and climb to the point where you are seen as divine, right? And so what people would hope for in honor society like this is that you get to the point where people would erect statues in your name all throughout the cities and uh, tributes to you around the, the nations in which you rule and people would cry out to you, we worship you, we worship you, we see you like God, you are a God among us. This was the aim of the course of honour, to not be seen merely as a human being but to be seen and known as God, think of Caesar Augustus or Alexander the Great. These are real leaders in Roman culture that saw themselves as God amongst the people. Now I want you to consider in the modern day what's going on in our world. Think about leaders that are leading out selfish ambition and vain conceit and see where that leads you as they try and escalate and rise above every other to be seen as something they're not. 
It's a dangerous game to play, isn't it? To find yourself in a life of ascent. And yet what Jesus does is he redefines the course of honour like this. Verse 6, if you can bring it up for us on the screens. It says this. I can't, I've not got my notes. I need you to put the slide up. (laughs) Verse 6, can you get to verse 6 for me? Next, sorry, next one. Who, in very nature, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to take to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. This is what he did. He made himself nothing. He climbed down the ladder of honor. He made himself nothing. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death upon a cross. You see, friends, what Jesus does, he, he's, he redefines the course of honor through self-emptying. In the Greek, in verse 7, there's this word kenosis that literally means to empty all of yourselves, make yourself completely nothing. Compelled by love and strengthened by his character, his humble character, Jesus reminds us today how good news this is Because you and I have a God who is willing to descend and descend and descend and descend so that he might lift you up. This is the God that we serve. He is willing to go through hell so that you don't have to. This is great news for you and I, friends. He's willing to be ashamed, misunderstood, abandoned, tortured, even crucified so that you might be served and loved and minister to you. If uh, you're new to this whole idea of church and of faith, then let me tell you, there is gonna be no greater love you're ever gonna know in your life than being loved by Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that laid down his life for you. He's the one that went through every bit of shame to redeem it in you. Jesus makes himself nothing so that you might experience your true worth. And it's so good for us to know this is the God that we serve. And then it goes on in verse six. I want you to just be reminded that it shows us more. It shows us that Jesus is already equal to God. It says at the start, therefore he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped at or taken advantage of. No, it says that he saw it as an opportunity. Because he was equal to God, therefore the decision Jesus is making is not a decision about stopping being divine. That's not the decision he was ever making. It was a decision about what it really meant to be divine. This is the decision he was making. You see, the world might tell you, you need to strive to become more and more and more like God. Whereas God himself says to us this morning, I will lay aside the world's glory in order to redeem you for heaven's glory. He's gonna lay it all aside for you. See, Jesus is turning holiness on its head in our culture today. And so humility looks like this descending life. 
This is the theory I want us to grasp. Humility says, how can I get alongside those around me or even perhaps beneath those that God has put around me in order that I might lift them up, that I might encourage them? And if you're anything like me, you might be asking the same question, like, Lord, could you now help me lay aside the world's glory in order to pick up heaven's glory instead? Because this is not going to be a normal uh, decision amongst us. It's going to take everyday effort, a, a, a recommitting to it. The challenge I want us to receive today is that God is redefining holiness and holy character in the service of others. So let me ask you, who are you serving today outside of yourself? There's nothing wrong with looking after yourself. Please hear that. I want you to look after yourself really, really well. But it doesn't end there. It's why I love worship, if I'm honest. It's why I need it every single day. It reminds me that he is God and that I am not. And I need that lesson every single day because I need to find my place in him if ever I'm going to walk in godly humility. And so God shows us what it really looks like to be divine in what he did upon the cross. And because of that, in verse 9, it, it says this, Therefore, having taken the descended place, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, God exalts the humble. He exalts the humble. And so right now we've got the theory of maybe how to think about being humble. But I guess I want to show you the practice. Would that be okay? Before we close today. And so what I want to do is I want to rewind the clock to the moments just before Jesus goes to the cross the sort of ultimate practitioner on display of what humility looks like. You've got to understand he's now done his miracles. He has cleansed and healed. He's even raised Lazarus from the, death, from the dead at this point in his ministry. He has uh, uh, commissioned his disciples. He has um, put a courage that will become the early church. He has uh, mobilized people's giftings. And he has even been welcomed into Jerusalem as the king of Israel, where they all declared, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Jesus has shown us truly himself to be the Messiah, right? There's no questioning at this point who he is. And then he does this. A simple act in John chapter 13, he washes his disciples' feet. John chapter 13, verse 1 says this Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Wow, I'm struck by that. I'm struck by the need not just to talk in theory about God's love, but to show it to the world. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted uh, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. Remember equality with God? He had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal. 
He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then a few verses later in verse 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You see, as I said, Jesus isn't laying aside his godliness. He's showing us what godliness really looks like. And he does it with the towel. And I want you to hear this. There is no insecurity in Jesus in his actions. He's not insecure about the power that is at hand. He knows that all power in heaven and earth is under his foot. He is able to act in power. I want you to hear this. He's not insecure about his identity. He knows where he's come from and where he is returning. He is not uh, scrambling uh, after selfish ambition, trying to earn a little bit more uh, kind of weight and quota with his disciples before he leaves them. No, Jesus knows exactly exactly what he's doing, assured in his identity and full of power. And so he acts. He takes off the robe and begins to serve. He shows them a better way, a, a godly way, a beautiful way for us to follow. He adds dignity and value to those uh, around him. And I just wanted to say this. He even does it to those that would betray him. This is, I guess, what I'm so struck by in this passage is that if you feel like you're in this moment thinking, but I've betrayed God. The way I'm living my life, the way I've lived my life, the things I've even done this weekend, God would be so ashamed of me. I'd never be at the table. And yet he's at your feet with the towel, with the water, having climbed from the heavens to chase after you. This is what God wants. And I guess there's three things I, I just want to encourage us today in is that if you feel like you're the betrayer, as so often I do, I want you to know that you are so loved. You are so profoundly loved by God. Jesus, knowing already that Judas had made plans, he responds to those plans of evil with a great love of service. Maybe you're in that group, maybe you're in the second group where you feel like, do you know what, I need to go and do the same. I need to go and live this out. I need to go and walk this life out. And maybe you can be thinking today practically how in your life, your relationships, maybe it's your shared house, maybe it's your workplace, what can you do to add value to those around you? Because it's going to show the love of Jesus this week in a profound way and it will refine your character. Go after the unglamorous to pursue the godly because God exalts the humble, speak life and value. It's something that our culture is deprived of and is craving. It's someone just to encourage them. And Jesus has given you all the tools. He's given you a manual to know how deeply loved you are, how in the same mind as Christ you share in his power. You will do greater things than even Jesus did if you can grasp that he has given you power in partnership with him. So maybe that's what you need to walk out this week. Or maybe there's a third group today that you know the first thing you need to do is let Jesus minister to you. You're at the table and you're thinking, don't, don't touch my feet, don't touch my life again. I'll go and do it. If you try and do it, you'll do it out of selfish ambition and vain conceit and it will lead to the wrong place. 
But if you could enable God to come and minister to you, I think he's gonna do something profound. He will touch you with his love and he will reframe for you his love for you. He'll show you again. I wanna finish with a story of a time where I had the privilege of going to Rwanda as part of an, an amazing trip. It was 20 years on from the genocide that had sweeped through that nation. And a, a whole bunch of us got to go and sort of play a part in how people were learning to reconcile in that land as, uh, after they were releasing criminals after their 20 year sentences back into society to go and live amongst the villages again. We went to visit this uh, house of a lady who's widowed and she had some beautiful kids. And as we were there, she said to me, she said, could I wash your feet? And I was acutely aware, we'd, we'd driven past the well that she had to walk to miles and miles and miles away to collect water to serve her family. It was in short supply. And I just remember saying to her, oh no, please don't. You know, the water's far too precious. And she stopped me. And it's a lesson that's lived with me. She said, Mark, do not deprive me of the blessing of serving you. And I had to sit there crying. And she washed my feet. As this woman that had so little showed so much of what it looks like when God exalts the humble. Does God need to wash your feet this morning? Does God need to meet with you, minister to you, show you his love? It's costly love, but it'll change your life. So I wonder whether we might uh, just respond this morning. Could you stand to your feet? And we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and do what only the Holy Spirit can do, and that's to just meet with us. In the times where we've betrayed him, in the times where we need to partner with him, and in the times where we just need him to love us. That's what we're going to invite him to do right now. And uh, if you're new to this, just a simple thing that we do, and you can do it online, is just, uh, this is a kind of a posture just to hold out your hands, to say says to God, if you're comfortable, God, I'm here and I want to receive from you the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the opposite of like our testament, you know, try, try and get in. So if you're open to it, let's just wait on the Holy Spirit. It's a moment of quiet. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, lover of our souls the one that saved and redeemed us. We pray that you'll come right now and fill this place and fill us again. Let's wait on him. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.